0: Hey, and welcome in to episode 83 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. I'm so excited for you to hear today's episode. This one took a little doing, not because the guest wasn't willing. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He was totally willing to do it, but we just never seem to be able to figure out the right time to get Chris Ranji in studio when he would come to visit Chicago so I was like hey I'm experimenting with doing some of this stuff via zoom and I was like he would be a perfect person to experiment with because he's someone that I enjoy looking at quite honestly I enjoy looking at Chris Ranji So he said, let's do this. And I was like, outstanding. So we had a nice chat. Uh, I wanted to, before we get to Ranji, I wanted to thank you for your support of the Joe Cowley episode. It was, it's, it's still like through the roof. So there's only two people in a very exclusive club when it comes to the amount of downloads uh, that this podcast has had and we've we're closing in on 350,000 downloads which is amazing especially since the pod is what 17 months old I was when I first started I was projecting like Maybe 250 by the time that we got here, but we got an outside shot. I think at 500,000 downloads in the first two years of the pod, which is pretty crazy. Anyway, there are two people whose episodes have rated higher than anyone else's. And by rated, I mean actual downloads. Jason Goff, both episodes like the first the number two episode that we did on the podcast And then when Jason returned, both of those are at a level that no one else has gotten to. His first episode is the highest downloaded episode that we've had, period. So shout out to Jason Goff for that. Cheryl Scott is the other person. It's funny because they were back to back episodes, episode two and episode three of the podcast. And no one has gotten to Cheryl's levels. And that was when the podcast was in its infancy. So shout out to Cheryl Scott for helping out. The people that are close, the Mark Grody episode, the Barry Rosner episode, the Kelly Kroll episode. Oh, and uh, Chris Tannehill and Joe Ostrowski's episodes were also really highly listened to. Like they're on the verge of that next plateau. This episode with Cowley, I am amazed at how many people have listened to it in the week that it's been out of the time of me dropping the Ranji episode. And I expect a lot of people be interested in what Ranji has to say, too. But in a week, Callie's episode has done 4,500 downloads. That's incredible. So I thank you very much for listening. It's clearly going into that stratosphere of where Cheryl Scott is and maybe even where jason's first episode although he's got a lot of work to do to, to get to where jason's episode is so thank you for uh giving for listening to because joe laughed and he said man what are, like 10 people gonna listen to it? and i was like nope way more than that are gonna listen to it and you have proven me to be right i think that even he is shocked with how many people cared about his thoughts and his stories but if you didn't listen to the episode, you should go back and check it out. But after you listen to, to this one, now that I've heaped a bunch of praise on Joe Cowley. Let me heap a bunch of praise on, on Chris Ranji. I say this with no lie. He is one of my favorite people. He is someone who instantly brings a smile to my face whenever I see him. I uh, I love him. I really do. Like I, I consider him to be a... a trusted ally and a good good friend he is i think an amazing broadcaster and i think he's a really good like on the air he's a good storyteller he's extremely talented he's in that group of guys that kind of came through the score that you could imagine kind of doing anything whether ranger wanted to do play-by-play or be on television or do a a five hour radio show in St. Louis, or however the hell long they're on every day, down there in St. Louis. He he can do it all, and he's just he's just one of the people that you, you kind of bond with and you click with, and he's one of those guys that when I look around, if I'm I'm if I'm putting my dream team together, like I have a dream team of of people that I've worked with that I hope that I if I could create something where all of us work together chris Ranji would be one of those people that i would if i was running a station he would be on it if i had a chance to do a show with all of my favorite people and i guess technically i guess that's what what the house of l podcast is uh, he would be on it so we talked about a lot of stuff we talked about leaving the score we talked about him dealing with his his dad dying. We talked about what we loved about the score when we were both there together and what it's like, what it was like when he had to walk away from it. It's fun. It's classic Ranji. I mean, absolutely classic Ranji. We even get into the conversation about him cracking up on the air during updates with Boers and Bernstein. But honestly, this episode is really two guys who really love each other just hanging out for 90 minutes. And I think that that, that comes across. So no more no more talking for me on this. Episode 83, Chris Ranji. This is great, man. Look at you all handsome Look at- and stuff.
1: What are you talking about? him? I'm wearing a hat, like I always wear a hat. You're so
0: handsome. I'll I'm quit. It's good to see you. You too, buddy. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm doing well. It's been, Wait, is uh, this is this the start of it, or are we just talking? I mean, are we just hanging out. I mean, we we're just hanging out. Ends up being the episode. That's oh, usually okay. how I look at it. But All yeah, right. I'm good. Things are things are going really well. How right. hey, roll, tied? I'm not even wearing a tie. This. I is know. It. I. This is was, Spice Adams. Oh, is that what that
1: is? I, um, I was thinking about that today, and I was, you know, like betting with myself whether or not you would have an Alabama sweatshirt on when
0: we started. No, I mean, I do have my Alabama degree in the background, though. There
1: it is. So, there it is. I like it.
0: So there it is.
1: What's Panther doing right now?
0: She's out. It, it actually turns out really well because she's got a whole, like, thing today that she's oh, good she's up in the north shore so i'm not disturbing her because the studio is i felt so bad like on sunday i came uh, home after after all the bear stuff since it was sunday night football yeah and i usually record the podcast at home because now i've got like an actual like mixing board and everything here oh wow um yeah it's super fancy um <laughs> it's not fancy at all but it's right next to our bedroom, so I wasn't going to come in here and oh, see yeah, Bears at 1 o'clock in the morning and wake her up.
1: And let's be honest, uh, everybody involved could use a break, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm, I feel that way. Like, I, I need a break from them. <laughs> I need a break from them so bad. What's great <laughs> is that um, the Thanksgiving game will allow for a weekend of no Bears, and the week after that, they play on Thursday Night Football again. Oh, boy. So I think I'm actually going to get out of town and go somewhere that weekend, but I don't even know where to go. Mm, Tuscaloosa. No. They've um, – I mean, I guess I could go the Thanksgiving weekend because that's when they play Auburn. But yeah. That's oh, at, yeah. That's at Auburn. So what happens if you want
1: tickets? Is it easier for you to get them? I mean, is I mean, you could get them anyway, but if just being a, a technically a an alum,
0: yeah, I mean, now I know enough people over there that if I wanted to get tickets, I can get them. Yeah, but I don't know if I want to go down to Auburn uh, to to go do it. Yeah, I, 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 it was fun though. Last year we went to the Iron Bowl and we had a time, man. Have you ever been to T town? No, no, Dude. I've never been to. Uh, let's, say I, I drove through Mississippi on the way to New Orleans once but I never been to Alabama. It's funny because I took a trip last year where I went to go see one of my advisors and I was in new Orleans. Like I went on my birthday. I usually go to new Orleans once a year and usually it's around my birthday. Um, And then I drove from new Orleans to Tuscaloosa. So to make the drive from new Orleans to Tuscaloosa, you have to drive through Mississippi Okay. So I basically drove through yeah. Brett Favre's hometown. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, we stopped at a waffle house
1: because of course, I don't know if there, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that's about all there is to do in Mississippi is stop yeah. at a waffle house.
0: Yeah, that's, that's about right. And it, it felt it's, it's a weird thing because my family is from Mississippi. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, there's my, a
1: lot of, it, if I'm not mistaken, there's a lot of, people from mississippi that ended up in chicago is that right
0: yeah that's called like over
1: the last several decades or i guess
0: it's called the great migration that's what ended up happening a lot of black folks came from mississippi and found themselves in bronzeville um so yeah it's it's how the blues got from the deep south to chicago Yeah. yeah and then i
1: i guess they made a stop in st louis huh Yes, they did. They made it. I mean,
0: there is a there live. is a
1: there's a history of that down here. A lot of blues music. That's where St. Louis blues, you know, that's why it became a thing.
0: Yeah, it seems to be working out well for, for oh, the, the guys out there.
1: Well, it took like half a century, but sure.
0: <laughs> Everything's great. Yeah, it, it, it seems pretty great. It does. But yeah, the, 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 it's one of the more fascinating things about Chicago is that connection to the South and my great aunt still lives down, like my family is still down there. And yeah. they don't live very far from the, the campus of Mississippi State. Okay. They're like five minutes from that campus. So my my aunt Dot is a crazy booster of Mississippi State. So much so that she has a bell, because you know they ring the bells down there. Uh-huh. She has a <laughs> bell for me. Oh, wow. And there's land down there for any of my, my mom's side of the family. That, but the, the catch is you don't get the land unless you move there. Oh. That's the catch. Oh. And when she found out that I, I went to Alabama, oh my God. It's so, it is
1: so, such an odd dynamic. And I feel like there's, that's only an SEC thing.
0: Yeah. It's, it's got to be. Uh, it it's it's weird because like she basically was like I'm disowning you. And yeah, I'm like, that's what? so odd. What? Like
1: do you think like nobody in the Pac-12 cares, and I don't think people like Big Ten people don't care that much unless it's Ohio and Michigan or something.
0: Yeah, if it's Mich- uh, if it's Michigan State, Michigan they care.
1: That yeah they yeah, but you're in the state, you know. So it's not like you've left Michigan to go. Well, is Michigan State considered in the state of Michigan or do do they even? Do they even uh claim East Lansing?
0: It's a weird thing man because when you know, Michigan was my dream school, like that's where I desperately wanted to go to college. Really? Yeah, like I I acted like a complete child because I got in, I got a little bit of scholarship money, but it wasn't even close to to what we needed being an out-of-state student. Like my parents looked into everything. Like my parents looked into buying a, a summer house there and getting residency like wow. all this stuff to try for and you save, for me for wow. my for my punk ass they, they looked into all of this stuff and they were just like we can't afford it and, and i thought for sure there was going to be some rich uncle that was going to descend and and be like here you go lawrence here's one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. go to michigan the place that you've always dreamed of I'm I'm not kidding. Like when I talk about DePaul being my last choice, it was my absolute last choice. Can I tell you? Dude, we are the same person.
1: This is this is one of my biggest regrets uh ever. Absolutely. Hold on a second. I got these stupid notifications that keep popping up on my damn I got this new laptop. Yeah. And and for some reason my laptop thinks I want notifications from everything. And uh, I haven't bothered to, to fix that because I don't care about any of the stuff it keeps telling me about, like, uh, you know, updates and your computer is going to crash. Who needs any of that? I don't need those things. I don't need uh, those updates. No, I don't, I don't need that. Um, but my mother and father, this is a great regret of mine because it ended up costing a lot of money because I was, I was smart enough and I did well enough in – High school, that if I wanted to, I could have gotten good scholarships. I I insisted, like you did, that I was going to go to a big time university. And when they talk about, when we talk about um, in sports, when you've got a good football program or you have good basketball, that that's an amazing marketing tool. I'm I'm an example of that because I wanted desperately to go to a place like Notre Dame. Hmm. or I wanted to go to USC, or I wanted to go to Purdue, and originally, I decided I was, if I got my timeline right, and and I think I do here, um, I decided I'm going to Purdue, and I remember going for like a visit, and there was a program called like golden honors or something. And I was, I was going to be in that. I don't think you register for class, but it was like a, an early, early, um, uh, it it really, I don't even know what they called it because it, it wasn't like an orientation, but it was almost like that. So anyway, I remember going, my mom and dad took me, we went to West Lafayette and I just, I'm there for, for a weekend and I'm like, it's too big here. I don't like it. It was too big, too many people, and I thought, I didn't, I didn't want that, and I was starting to get sad about leaving high school, which is a strange thing, because, you know, who cares, um, but you're 18, so you don't know any better, and then it was decided I was going to Loyola, like wow. I was, I was going to do Loyola, sight unseen. Uh, we had visited Chicago a few times, never went that far north, but we had visited a lot, and I thought, okay, it's cool city it's pretty close to the city I'll, I'll just go there instead and I go up there the night before you register for class so my mom and dad drove me up um, and they had begged me I mean over the months where you're looking for colleges they had begged me just just apply to SIU just to apply to Illinois State just it doesn't it doesn't cost anything just send your application and I refused because I'm going to a big university where there's sports, you know, and I know Loyola (laughs) and I know Loyola isn't that, but, but there was something about it that I was drawn to. So, you know, uh, we go up there, they have you stay with a, uh, with a senior overnight the night before and the senior like shows you around campus and uh, you stay in the dorm or whatever. And then the next day you wake up and you go and you register for your classes. So, You know, when you're registering for class, it is late in the game. Yep. I mean, you're in like April, okay? And people have their colleges by April. Like, they have their colleges way before that. So it's freaking April. And I wake up the next day. I had a, the guy was really nice. He was, he was, he was uh, going to be a priest. Like, he was getting ready. yeah. Yeah. He was getting ready to leave college, go to the seminary at Notre Dame. And he was going to become a priest, Sam something. I, I can't remember his last name, Sam something. And uh, father Sam now. It's father Sam now, unless he did something he shouldn't have, which is possible. You never know. I don't know. It's been twenty five years or whatever. Let's so, hope not. But let, let's absolutely hope not. So I got up the next day and I met my mom and dad before I was to go to the hall where you register for class. And I got in the car and they go, "What do you think?" And I. <laughs> Oh man. Like, I remember this vividly. I'm in the back seat and I go, I don't think I like it here. And, and they were just like, I feel so bad now about it. I feel like absolutely terrible because they, they tried and they tried and they tried to get me to open my mind to other stuff. And I refused. So I didn't even go into the building. We just, we pulled out of the parking lot and we drove home. And on the way home, we drove through normal, and, and we just drove around the campus at Illinois State. And I don't know, I just – I guess I liked it. And the thing about Loyola, I guess I felt like I wanted to go to a – and at the time, maybe things are different. I haven't been to that campus in a long time. It just – it didn't feel like a college campus to me. Like I wanted a huge quad where people were hanging out and, and that kind of thing. And it didn't really have that feel. It didn't not, not, to me. not back
0: then. If you went and visited there now, though, I bet it's different. I, it, yeah. it would probably be what you were looking for. Now. Yes,
1: but but it, this was 1994, you know, 95. It was 95, actually. Uh, so it didn't feel that way to me. We drove around the campus at ISU. I thought it looked cool. Um, and I said, okay. And my aunt's sister is in the admissions department. And it was so late. She's like, all right, you know, we'll we'll figure You're it out. <laughs> they got me in. But then, I, but then I ended up having to do freaking loans and, and, and all that stuff, which I wouldn't have had to probably, or at least not as much, if I had just applied when they asked me to. So I'm the biggest dummy in the world. And it was, it was completely unnecessary. And I ended up loving my time there. So 18-year-old people are idiots.
0: We are. And, and let me tell you how much you and I are the same. I have a similar story. Oh boy. Now, now granted, granted, I had, I was in at a lot of places and my running joke now is, um, the place that, so my father said to me, you, cause you know how you have those things like junior year where colleges are all the college fair, they come to the school and they're like, oh, you should apply and you should apply. So there were a bunch of places that did that. And one of them was Yale. And so my father said, "You should apply to Yale." And I was like, "I'm not getting into Yale." Uh, that that he's like, "Okay, look, I'll make you a deal." He's like, "You apply to Yale. If you get in, you have to pay me the the fee, the application fee. And if you don't get in, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry." And I think the application fee and that this was 1992. This was 75 dollars which in 1992 money is ridiculous. It's a lot of money, yeah. It's ridiculous. So I said, okay, I got the letter from Yale that I got accepted, and I was just sitting there going, what? Like, this is impossible. And so I joked with Theo Epstein that I would have been working for him at the school newspaper and maybe would have been, like, in charge of media or something for the Cubs at mm-hmm. this point. But I did the exact same thing that you did where – it was kind of locked and loaded that I was going to U of I. Once it was, it, it became clearer that I wasn't getting into Michigan. I had a scholarship to U of I and we went down and we did the, almost the exact same thing that you did. They did like an orientation yeah. weekend. And we went down to, 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 to Ur- 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 Champaign Urbana and we stayed. And what I didn't like was there was a, You're like, you're with everybody and you're hanging out. And then they had an extra day for minority orientation. It was like a third day that you were there. Okay. And I didn't like that. Like there was something like that felt wrong about it. And I'm sure that like, it makes sense. Like you're trying to connect, you know, black students with other black students and Asian students with other Asian, like eventually I got it. But between that and the smell out of the South farms, I told my mom, I was like, we're not like, this isn't, this isn't it. So the
1: farm smell got you too. Is that why you don't want to go to U of I?
0: It's, it's a big part of the reason that I didn't want to go to U of I. And then my, my parents were like, well, where are you going? (laughs) Because, (laughs) because the Yale thing was, was a pipe dream. I had gotten into uh, Drake. I was thinking about going to Drake for, for, for journalism and, and I had gotten into DePaul, but my brother had gone to DePaul. So I didn't want to go there initially because he had gone there. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I swear I lived on the campus after senior year. Cause I was a, a golden apple scholar and that's where they did all the stuff. So I was on campus at DePaul for four weeks or whatever it was. And I loved it. I loved like the whole vibe and being in the city. But I still like in the back of my mind was like, I'm going to go to Michigan. I'm going to go to Michigan. I'm going to go to Michigan. And then it came time to move in. And my parents were like, we have to go. Like you, there's no place else for you to go to college. Right? You're going to DePaul. And they dropped me off. And I was furious that I was going to DePaul. And then within an hour.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's how, it, Yeah. Within an hour of being there. I
0: was like, I love this place and I never want to leave it. Yep. That's how it was
1: with me. I remember, uh, well, it wasn't exactly an hour, but it was like, I don't know, three days for, I felt, and I did not ever think I was going to feel this way. I felt homesick for that first like 48 hours. And my mom, you know, she, she always worries more than she needs to. And, um, she was like, "No, just we can. You can come back home if you want to. We'll, you, we'll put you at, at SIUE, which is you know 15 minutes away, SIU Edwardsville." And uh, she's like, "You can go there. Uh, we'll 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 get you a car. You know, like, we'll we'll figure it out." And uh, I'm like, "Nah, it's good." And then like the next day, I'm just I forgot everybody that I used to go to school with and lived with. My mom called me, and I'm like, "Who is this?" Uh, but I was just over it <laughs> after a while. You know, like, it and it didn't take very much time. I was super glad to be there, and I loved my time. The, the only regret I have about going to ISU was not app- applying when they told me to freaking apply. And I'm an idiot. That's my fault, and, you know, I paid for it.
0: Yeah, but now you're, like, one of ISU's most famous alums.
1: <laughs> Trust, whoever's listening, the university is better than that. So, uh
0: it's true. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: but it's a, it, it's a, it's a cool place. I, I really liked
0: that I went. Do you remember when you got involved in radio there?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, okay. So this was stupid. I, I mentioned USC to you earlier when I was talking about colleges. And one of the reasons I wanted to go there is I was, and I'm still indecisive when it comes to uh, to a lot of things, but I, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And there was a part of me that I thought I'm going to be, this, is, this sounds so stupid. Now I'm going to be a cinematographer. That's what I want. I want to shoot movies. I'm fascinated by the way people place their cameras and lighting and all that stuff. And I thought that's what I'm going to do. So I remember at one point in the process way before Purdue, I remember There must've been a USC recruiter in town and I don't know how my parents found out about it, but they did. And I went and I remember meeting with the lady, it was a lady. And I don't know what came out of the meeting. I I don't remember at all, but it was a matter of that just wasn't going to work financially. I I wasn't going to make it. So I I put that away, but I still thought I'm going to do film production. Okay. And when I looked into a lot of these colleges And when it was last minute going to ISU, they had a TV production program. And in my mind, I thought it was the same thing and nobody told me different. So, but what their TV production was at the time was learning to put a 5.30 newscast together. And that's not really what I wanted. So once I started doing TV stuff in the first few classes, I was like, I don't, this isn't what I want. So I decided um, it wasn't yet I had a friend that I had made my freshman year, and she was like, "Hey, let's go try out for the radio station." It was uh, WZND. She's like, "Let's go, let's go try out." And I didn't really want to, but I did. And they had a news and sports department, so I made it. I made, you know, I made that cut, and that's how that started. And then from that, I decided, well, let's let's try the other end of the TV stuff instead of the production. Let's try the um, you know, in front of the camera. So I did some of that in college, but that's how I got into it. I mean, I didn't, that's not what I went for. It wasn't like the, you know, everybody who's in broadcasting and maybe you're like this too, but everybody who's in broadcasting, I, I feel like they were all kids going, I'm, I'm this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to take myself calling games. I didn't really do that. I mean, I had a fascination with, uh, you know, listening to Jack Buck and, listening to uh, play by play on the radio uh, I did have a fascination with that but I didn't think I was going to do it and that really kind of happened probably about my sophomore year in college Hmm. yeah which is weird because I feel like everybody in our business they're like that's what I was going to do I I knew I was going to do that from the time I was eight and I didn't
0: well, I, I definitely know people in our business that are like that. Like, I, I mean, and going to HF with the radio program that we had, it, it was pretty much like if you were in that, like you were looking to do some stuff and yeah. uh, like, you know, I'm, I've talked about being classmates with Ben Bradley. He's that guy yeah. that you're talking about. Like from the time that he was probably eight, nine years old, he knew that that's what he was going to do. I was I was stuck between a couple of things. I mean, it ended up where at the end, I, I kind of knew at the end of college, I was like, yeah. Did you kind of want to teach? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I mean, I did. Yeah, I you do it
1: to, now, but I'm saying, I, didn't you at the time think that was going to be your path?
0: Yeah, I thought I was going to teach history in high school. I thought that's what I was going to do. Or um, I, I was looking into going to, going to the Navy and having the Navy pay for me to go to law school wow. at Tulane. wow. And like the summer of my senior year is when I got the internship at channel nine and that just changed my world. I was just like, this is like, this is it. This feels like it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. But yeah, man, I do think that there are a lot of people like Bernstein tells the story of doing play by play into his recorder. and, And I'm pretty sure that's how he got the job at the score. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that he's told the story that he basically lied about his experience and he, he did play-by-play into a recorder for something and, and sent the tape to Ron Gleason and got the job.
1: You know how many people have done that? Bob Costas did that. Well, he had, he had actually done stuff, but he thought his voice wasn't good enough. So wow. the story is that he had, he had taped himself, and then, you know, at the time, it's like real you know, it, it's tape and real; it's not digital. Um, and he uh, he did something with the pitch to make him sound deeper, and that's what he sent to KMOX, and that's where he got his first job. And it, and it uh, it happened on that, but he was afraid his voice was too high pitched to get a job in broadcasting, I, so he I'm, doctored the tape.
0: Unbelievable, but also totally believable for people in our business. Like, yeah, well.
1: Crazy. You feel like, and, and I, I didn't do that, but I, okay, so when I was in school and I was, it was my senior year and about to graduate, and WJBC is an AM station in the town of Bloomington Normal. It's a central Illinois based station uh, because that's what they cover. And they air the Redbird basketball, football games. And um, I, I was about to move back home after graduation and there was a dude (laughs) there was a guy named rc mcbride who was working in sports or news i can't remember i think it was sports at the time and um, he called the station for somebody else and i picked up the phone and he liked the way i sounded when i answered the phone and he told the lady that he was calling uh to have me send a tape to him so i was like okay well I could do that, but I'm graduating and, you know, I need to have like a full-time gig. So that's how I ended up going to grad school was because at the same time, another friend of mine who had graduated before me, he started grad school and he was like, look, man, you can come back to the program and you get to go for free. Because if you stay in your, your major, you stay in your, uh, you know, you stay in communication, you don't have to pay for class. And if you do an assistantship, they'll pay you a stipend per month and that's what i ended up doing so i was teaching like public speaking to freshmen as a grad student and then on weekends working at jbc so i did that and it was the news department and uh oh, this is i almost got fired so uh here so this was before you're getting emails with your schedule on them okay and i'm in I honestly ended up having more fun my final two years of college than I did my first four. And by fun, I mean, the bars were open. So I, uh, I, I didn't really care that much about school to be honest. And I didn't really care about that job because I didn't like it. It was news and it to me wasn't interesting news and I was bored of it. And, um, I didn't work every single weekend. It was like every other weekend, And I remember I would call in and say, okay, what's my schedule for the next month when they would put the schedule out and somebody would read it off to me. And this was my laziness. I just didn't want to go down to the station and find out for myself. So I would have somebody who was there read it to me. Well, I either, they didn't tell me a particular weekend or I didn't write it down and I didn't show up. I had a shift and I didn't show up. And I and this was before everybody had a cell phone, so I'm out and about during the afternoon. I come home at like six o'clock, seven o'clock, and I've got like five voicemails on the answering machine, and <laughs> like it was it was RC, and then it was the boss, like directly above him, and then the guy who owned the station called me, and they're all like, "You're supposed to be here," and I I was like, "Oh my god," and so I called back. And uh, I, I went down to the station and RC pulled me in his office and he didn't fire me, but he was very close to firing me. I just, I didn't want to do that job and I wasn't smart enough to really foster it and and see it as an opportunity for something else later. So um, I graduated from grad school, came home, uh, was living in in St. Louis here for about a year, and I decided, you know what? I didn't want to do this either like i was I was working for an agent, a sports agent, that I happened to meet at a ball game and uh, doing marketing stuff, getting paid no money. guy was a cheap bastard, so he didn't pay me anything. but I thought it was a cool job because you're working with NFL players and you know helping them with events. so I liked it, but after a while i I missed doing radio. so I went back to the campus um, on a weekend. And I, I had some stuff that I could use from JBC, you know, some professional stuff. But then Lawrence, I like I, I faked a couple of other things, like I recorded myself doing a few minutes of a talk show, and I they it wasn't actually on the air. I just did it, and I blind blindly sent a, a CD because it's what you were sending at the time was CDs. So I sent a CD to ESPN One Thousand. And then one to the score. And I remember getting a letter back from 1000. And it was like the form, uh, you know, we don't have a place for you at this time. Like, I'm sure they didn't even listen to it. They just right. got it. Right. Or maybe they did listen to it. And guess who was on the letter? Guess who signed the letter? Mitch Rosen. Because he Mitch was Rosen. there then. That's right. So I don't have the letter, I don't think, unless it's somewhere in some box but I have a rejection letter from Mitch and I, I also sent one to the score and I remember one day I'm going to work in the morning and I'm, I'm driving up the highway and I used to go in about nine 30 or 10. I didn't have to go in any, any earlier, but the guy that I was working for at the sports agency, he would, and by this time everybody has a cell phone. So, and, and uh, he would call me every single time on the way in. And it was one of those things where I don't remember. Do you remember when you first got a cell phone, you didn't program numbers in it?
0: Yes. You used to remember everybody's number back then. Right,
1: So his number didn't pop up. So I get this phone call, and I know it's him, this guy, Eric. And he just used to bother me because I'm like, dude, I'm on the way in. There's nothing you need to call me for. I'll be there in 25 minutes. So I remember (laughs) answering the phone and I said, what the hell do you want? Like, that's how I answered it. And <laughs> the voice on the other end goes, uh, yeah, this is Matt Fishman at 670, <laughs> the score in Chicago. And I, I was like, I go, oh, hey, what's up, man? And I go, I'm sorry, but like my, my friend keeps calling me. I said my friend and not my boss. Uh-huh. Because I'm what I'm telling him, yeah, my boss is bothering me, so I said, "What the hell do you want?" Anyway, so he said, "I got your tape. There was somebody who worked in the office oh, Bill Cavanaugh, and I had met Bill Cavanaugh because he was a, and he was in sales. yeah and, and he was he my was, sales manager when I was in sales. okay, and he went to ISU and I met him at like a job fair once, and so I knew of him, and I sent the c d to him. He walked it down the hall to Fishman. Fishman called because Grody, also an ISU guy, had just gotten the job full time at BBM, and it left a spot open at the score. And he asked me what my deal was when I was going to be available. And I was like, "Well, I can, you know, be available whenever." And so I went up like the following week, and um, that was it.
0: That's a pretty so that
1: that's how I got into to the score.
0: That's a pretty great origin story. I want to ask you about your relationships with people there on the air. And I think probably the most prevalent is your relationship with the Boers and Bernstein show. I want to know, what was it like to work on that show as the update anchor, knowing that either those guys or the production staff were going to do whatever they had to do to either make you laugh or make you trip up back in those days well okay
1: so uh well i mean it's fun i i love very fun i miss i like what i'm doing now i miss working on that show like even though i'm not really part of it i'm there you know i'm part of it every half hour but i'm not like the show you know i just i miss that whole dynamic and it was um like, it got to be – okay, so I knew it became a thing. You know, once, once they got me first – and you, do you know what really started? Okay, it actually started when I was doing updates during Murph's show in the middays. He was – was
0: he by himself? No, it was yeah, – like he was on
1: around noon. I know he was on around noon, and I think he was alone. Yeah, you're right. At it, was noon,
0: it was noon to two. Okay, yeah. I Something think. like that. Something Cause like that. Because that. that's when he started to do the thing of uh, – he hated he hated Terry, and remember right, when right. He, and they had the the shouting match the, about the, something the crouch, crouching tiger hidden Murph thing where he decided <laughs> that he was he was going to wait for Terry in the studio and then pop out uh, yeah. at him not realizing that Terry was doing the show at home that day. Uh, and, and my God, he, he's, he's crouching there in the corner like Bernstein's doing everything he can to not laugh because he knows that terry's not there (laughs) and he knows that that's why murph is doing this thing oh my god and so the show starts like the show literally starts and he hears terry's voice but can't see him he's looking around (laughs) like (laughs) like like, Terry's Terry's just going to, uh, like, uh, pop out himself. I I could, not, I could not stop laughing, man. I could not stop laughing. It's man.
1: the best.
0: Oh, my it God. It is the
1: be- So, okay, so here's what happened. That was, um, I mean, that was a couple of years into me, in, in for the job for me. Um, I think I was already doing White Sox stuff by then. And I think it was off season. So here, here's where this all started. All right. I, uh, and I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent sure it was the 12 o'clock, the noon update. And I'm doing the update for, for Murph and probably, so it's like 1256. Okay. And Jay Zawoski is the producer and I, and I hit the talk back button to him and I said, Hey Jay, um, can, can you hurry up and get to the update because I got to poop? Like, I had to go, okay? And I was joking, like, you can't speed it up. Like, we just, it, it's, the update starts when it does. And I was being funny, and I said, hey, man, we need to hurry this up because I got to poop. And right, I started the update, and I'm getting done. I'm getting close to the end, and he plays uh, a fart drop, <laughs> like a sound of a fart. And I just, I lost it because I knew what he was doing. I knew he was (laughs) like, and he thought it was going to be all subtle and Murph wouldn't notice. And I absolutely lost it because I'm, you know, I got to go and he did that and he's taunting me and I look up at him and he's got his head in his face and he's, he's so worried like he's laughing and he's trying to keep himself from laughing, but he knows Murph is a freak job and was going to yell at him. Which he didn't because he happened to be walking around the station and didn 't hear it, so um yeah that 's where it all started, and then that's when people decided, oh, we can get Ranji to laugh with a fart noise because he's a, a child, and that 's how that began, so it's really jay Zawoski's fault
0: it is his fault, but it be- kind of it became kind of a theme, and, yeah. and I, I think that a lot of us actually. You know, I, I, I think we owe a lot, those of us that are in sports radio, particularly in Chicago, and now you in St. Louis, like we owe a lot to that show. Absolutely. It's, it's funny because I, I think about like my favorite moments, like my favorite radio moment hasn't even happened on my own show. It happened on their show. And, and it, it happened at the Super Bowl where we had that crazy day on the Friday before the Bears Super Bowl where we were flirting with Matt Hasselbeck's mom there was the the really nice Hooters girl uh, was it a, it's not Amanda Nunez but it, it's oh was, uh, uh, wait are you, you talking about uh, Amanda Beard n- no Amanda Beard was there but there was, that was also the Zaidman thing right that was the whole Zach thing yeah it, that where he went on so Conan wild.
1: O'Brien on her yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. It, it
0: was it was crazy and We Zach and I at that point, like we're so loopy from covering the Super Bowl. We were so tired, and those guys were just so funny and so relentless. And I think that their their style of radio for kind of that next generation down of guys, me, you, Goff, um, Maddie, Zawaski, like that next generation down, like we all had the benefit of kind of living in the the show that doesn't give a shit show. Yes. You know, and, and there's some value in, in the, like, I love the way that Terry went about doing the show because he didn't care. Like he didn't, he wasn't worried about anything. And he did the show like someone who wasn't worried. And I think it, I I think it, it honestly, like it, it helped all of us kind of, allow for our own personalities to come out when we're on the air
1: you can only get away with doing it the way they did it if you're as good as they are like you can't that was one of the only shows i've seen where guys other than doing your typical reading all the time and paying attention to a lot along the way uh as far as show prep goes it wasn't this overproduced um Let's let's make sure we have everything. In, we know everything we're going to do from hour one to hour four, with the exception of guests. It just was such a free flow kind of style, and you have to be a different kind of of host to be able to do that. Not everybody can do that successfully because otherwise you're just meandering. And there might have been times where the show did that, but more often than not, it was just it was funny because they. They were so loose about everything, and they're so smart. The two of them are so smart. That's okay. So that show was the first time, really, that I had heard what I considered to be smart sports talk radio. Because usually it's just dumb, and it's – it's. and here's the thing about it. Like, their humor is dumb, but in a brilliant way, you know? Like, it wasn't just low-hanging fruit jokes all the damn time they were, they were, sometimes the jokes were juvenile, but in a, in an incredibly, um, like, like intelligent way. And I think that's a very hard balance to find and they did it. And it it's that molded me and how I feel like a show should be. I mean, you can have, uh, you know, we, um, on the show we're doing now, there's a lot of, of, uh, pre, show like work and the producer does most of it. And I don't really think that's the way it should be, but it's kind of how we do things where they put a rundown and, and uh, I mean, they'll ask input and whatnot, but the producer kind of sets our show for us and we can say, eh, I don't know about that segment. Let's not do it. But each segment is planned out ahead of time. And I don't necessarily like it that way, but that's just kind of how we do it. And it works. Um I, learned a lot and i molded a lot by the way those guys were and how they did stuff and i think if you can do a show well the way they did it you can do any kind of show because those guys are just so the way that dynamic was was perfect there was a lot of thinking on the fly and not everybody can pull that off but the way that dynamic was worked great and yeah. then you had somebody like tannahill right. And then Tannehill's brilliant when it comes to sound and he he knows to find the right thing at the right time and it fits. And then sometimes you belabor the point and the belaboring of it gets funny too. You know, like you can play the sound effect of the shark laughing, but when you do it over and over again and you do it enough to where it's like relentless and it's hilarious because it's relentless, but it's not too much to be like, okay, that's enough, let's move on. It just, it was, everything was
0: done in my
1: opinion, nearly perfectly.
0: I agree. I, let's talk about the White Sox for a second. What was the White Sox pre and post like? Uh,
1: I, I, okay. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it. I liked, I, I miss it a lot. And there were times where, I, I mean, as everybody knows, it got combative and that was me. Because here's the thing I did not like about it. I don't mind the arguments. I don't mind the um, disagreements. What bothered me was, and maybe, I guess in some ways, I kind of miss it, but when people would call and they would directly attack me, and not like the team. It was like they were coming after me, and I'm like, whoa, hang on a second. Because as soon as you do that, my instinct is to fight back with you. Just because you're, you're attacking me instead of the team and the, the shit they used to do or didn't do right. So, uh, but I, I miss the dynamic. And I'm going to tell you, like, I, I miss, the as crazy as it is, I miss the passion that a, that a Sox fan, really it's a Chicago sports fan, is it, it, the, the anger. Like, there's something to me that's really entertaining about being angry about sports, you know? Like people, people get mad about sports all the time, but uh, a lot of times they they're upset and then they just, they're like, okay, well the game's over. Let's move on. These people are mad like three hours later and it's not healthy, but I got to tell you, I totally appreciate it. And in a way I miss it. And that sounds odd, but I do like, I just,
0: I, I liked that. I liked that there was
1: that much passion and fire.
0: I, I love that, I mean, I used to joke about this, but I love that you had your own booth. Like, at White Sox games, Like oh, it was you easy. had your, your own great. place to be. I mean, uh, how awesome was that, knowing oh, that was great. you were walking into your own radio booth at the ballpark every day, a place to be?
1: I loved that idea. And that was pretty much, I mean, of the 81 games, because it was uh, every year only 81, never any more than that. Uh, with the exception of one year. Yes, I'm taking a shot at them because they only went to the playoffs once. Um, 81 games, and I think I got that booth, like, I don't know, 78 times, because every now and then, like the, the Angels would bring their Spanish team and, and our Spanish team would be working too, so I got booted. But most of the time I was there, and it it, it didn't seem like I deserved to be in it. It's just, you know, where I got to be. Because it was empty and, and it was open, and they, there was nowhere else to put me, so there I was. but it was awesome to have it. It was a great view for a lot of really cool moments, and i I loved it. Do you have a favorite moment?: Yeah, game one sixty three I talk
0: amazing about, like I, I
1: I was talking about um, let's see. we were just having this conversation on on our show yesterday, actually about the, um, um, it was the game seven, the Blues and Stars just played. And it was the one that Pat Maroon scored. And I was extremely nervous during that game. That 163 was the most nervous I have ever been at a sporting event by far. And it wasn't close. Like I was, I was knotted up from like, okay, so the game was at seven or whatever. I was knotted up from like three o'clock until first pitch and and actually through the game until Tommy hit the home run. And then even then after I was knotted up, like I couldn't eat. It's so stupid. It is so damn stupid, but I was so nervous during that game and I've never felt that before. And the atmosphere was amazing. The people wearing black, waving black towels, that whole effect was, that was just an awesome, awesome moment. And I think the reason I was so nervous was you know, again, going back to the dynamic I had with, with uh, callers into the post postgame, and, and a lot of it was combative, as I said, but it just felt like, and maybe this sounds weird, but it felt like if they lost that game, that entire season didn't matter. But if they won it, they're a playoff team, and everything was validated. You know what I mean? It was just that one lousy game that decided everything. And, and maybe that's a dumb way to look at it, but that's how I saw it at the time. So I'm, I, was just on, I was just so on edge that day. That was the most fun I've ever had at a, at a ball game and the least amount of fun, if, that's a, if that makes any sense.
0: No, it does, it, and, and that, that day was so – because remember what was leading up to that?
1: Yeah, the Tigers what? game and Ramirez hitting the home run, and I, remember, I had a buddy who was at the ballpark, and as soon as Ramirez hit that slam – and put them up against the tigers they hadn't obviously they hadn't sold game 163 tickets and i think that happened in like the 7th or 8th inning right where where yeah. ramirez hit the, the slam and as soon as it happened he texted me and goes i'm i'm running to the box office right now to buy tickets for tomorrow because they had to win that game in order for there to be the 163 so, I mean, there was so much that led up to it.
0: I, I just – you're right about that moment. It's weird because I experienced the World Series. Yeah. And it's weird to say this. I wasn't nervous after they beat Boston. Like, I remember being nervous. I was like, oh, well, here comes Boston. Here comes the World Champs. Like, they're going to they're gonna I- I- extinguish their dreams. And then after Duque gets out of that jam that, –
1: that, that was the second most nervous I was was that inning because I felt like if they – if, if they got scored on, if the Red Sox blew up in that inning, this whole playoff run is over. That's how I felt.
0: And then you go to the blackout game. I, I, I don't know, man. I, it proud is probably – I was so proud of White Sox fans.
1: They were awesome.
0: Like, they, they got the memo that Brooks had come up with the, the yes. whole blackout the idea. The night before, and everybody did it. And everyone came in, and we were like, okay, this is, this is our south side shit. Like, this is, this is us. This is what we do. We are going to, even in the World Series, I don't know if there was one singular moment outside of the parade where I felt like as a fandom, White Sox fans were like, we're going to make our place the most difficult place in the world for you to come in and try and win. I, it was amazing.
1: Well, think of how, okay, if a team does a whiteout or a blackout or, or whatever, one of those kinds of things, how far in advance they have to tell people. Because you said they got the memo. They got it immediately. And th- usually that takes planning. And, and, and I guess if you have to buy tickets uh, literally last minute because the game's the very next day and you just find out about it, then, you know, they're um, – maybe you're more willing to listen to direction. I don't know, but I thought, and I talked about it at the time, the fact that everybody did the thing they asked them to do, which was wear black. And I mean, there were a handful of, not everybody has a black coat, but the people who had, cause it was freezing, if you remember. yeah. So you had to wear a coat, but everybody was wearing black, everybody. And then you added the black towels to the thing. And it just, it was such an incredible effect, but you're right. I remember, I do recall praising everybody in getting that memo and doing exactly what they decided to do and showing up and it was that was awesome. It was a it was a really cool moment.
0: Is it weird that I associate you most with baseball? Like is there another sport that you love the way that your love seems to come through for baseball? No, not not
1: like I mean, I love the sports. I just I I have a closer relationship with baseball because that's the one I played growing up as a kid. And I I did from the time I was in, I mean, well, the first grade, I guess. You know, I started playing in first grade and all the way through until high school. And um, I mean, I never played football growing up. We couldn't play growing up in Granite City. They didn't have organized football until you were in eighth grade. And by the time I got to eighth grade, I lost interest in playing. And I didn't play hockey. So baseball is the only thing I really grew up really loving a ton. And it, was, it wasn't it was until later I, I got into more of the other stuff. But, but, no, it's not weird that you see it that way with me. And I think for a, a lot of people, I'm just a baseball guy, which is fine. I don't, I don't mind that because I love the sport. It's my first love.
0: It's a great thing. Mine, too. I mean, I – I'm kind of pigeonholed as a football guy, which is weird. See, I don't think you are as much anymore. I'm, I hope not. But even now, like in Chicago, I do the football show. I do the Bears show. Yeah. But, but I mean, I played baseball until I was 23 years old. You know, <laughs> like I actually like it's the thing that I love the most. I will say this and y- you can attest to this. Yeah. I love covering football. Because the baseball schedule is ridiculous,
1: it is, and there's so little that goes on. And I think you could probably say the same thing during the week of a football season. Maybe uh, when you're when you're covering practice or whatever, you're covering uh, training camp. But like when you're playing a a Sunday game in July, actually June, because July at least the trade deadline's coming up, but. I mean, sometimes it gets so tedious and it's never, it's never awful. I mean, there are so many worse jobs than covering baseball, but as far as there being something different every day, that doesn't always happen in baseball. And I kind of like, I, from, and I never covered football like you did, but uh, leading up to game day is just a completely different thing. And there is something that's really appealing about covering a team that, you spend a couple of days post-mortem of the game before, and then you spend a few days getting ready for the next game. And that next game feels like this monumental event that's only going to last for three hours. But when you're watching a baseball game that's three to four hours, and that's every day with maybe an off day every now and then, it gets tedious. But, but not in the way that uh, any of us expect people to feel sorry for us for covering it because it's, it's still an amazing job. But even in great jobs, you can still feel like tedious stuff happens.
0: No, it's all relative, and I think it's important. For everybody. Important, important, no. How how hard was it for you to make the decision to leave the score?
1: It was – that was absolutely the hardest thing ever. Like, because it wasn't just a – it wasn't just a work – decision. I mean, it was a personal decision. Uh, I mean, my my mom is still in town. And uh, well, okay, so I don't know how many people know, but one of the main reasons I left was because, you know, my dad was really sick for a long time. And then things got really bad the last couple of years before he passed away in June of 2016. And that just left my mom. Cause I'm an only child. I don't have any brothers or sisters and she pretty much depended on him for a lot. You know, that was like her, own, aside from me, that was her closest person in life. And um, you know, like, I mean, she spent every waking moment of every day for 41 years with that guy. And then he was gone. And I was worried about how she was going to handle it. So he passed about a month later, I saw the job at, at 101, and it was one of those, like, I, I'm like, I, I'll, I thought, I'll let, you know what, let's apply for it. Let's just see what happens because I don't have to do anything. If, even if they want me or, you know, if they decide they want me to interview, I don't have to. I can just send it, see if they have any interest at all, and they did get back to me and said, would you come try out? And even then I was like, damn it. I, here, here's how it was. I, I, in a way, I was almost hoping that they would never get back to me at all so I didn't have to make that decision. Mm. Like I just, I wanted them to either not respond or respond and say, look, we appreciate your uh, interest, but we've got somebody and, you know, maybe in the future we'll keep you in mind or, you know, something like that and then he had me come down and try out uh like audition with the the two guys who were left on the show and so i i ended up replacing DeMarco Farr who used to play for the Rams and when the Rams left town uh he went with them not immediately but he eventually left to to go to LA and he's doing work for them um so i replaced him and i was like I was interested to see what their level of interest was. And then I can make a decision. And then I tried out, they had me uh, come back down again. And then a few months went by. And I just thought, okay, well that's dead. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to make a decision. And then in like December. So it, you know, it was December of 2016. He got back to me and, and he said, um, you know, are you still interested? And then I was like, "Well, shit, now it's real now i gotta I have to decide and I, and I was reluctant to, to and it was one of those things where my mom knew that I came down to try out. she's not going to not know right and the fact that, and the fact that she knew I, I had to you know I couldn't avoid it, uh, and so then that made it harder because then I felt like, uh you know if I get this job, I should probably take it, even though it's a good gig, it's an afternoon and I like the hours and I like, you know, doing what I'm doing. I just, I didn't ever want to leave. I never thought that I was going to leave Chicago. I just, I didn't. Um, You know, I had built a whole life there. In fact, with the exception of my mom and a couple of the relatives, I still have left. Like, I don't, I don't really have, I mean, moving down here before I came down here, I didn't have a whole lot of people here. I had, um, you know, like a couple of high school friends, but they weren't even really in the area. I, uh, not any longer. um, I just didn't know anybody. And every one of my close friends, like 95% of my close friends are still in Chicago. So I wasn't just leaving the score. I was leaving them. So I I left an entire life that I had built for like 14 years. So that was was a hard as hell decision to make. I mean, it was easily the, the toughest one. And I, and I loved where I was working. I wasn't always happy. Like I, I wanted to do more than I was doing, I think. Um, And, uh, you know, like, it's like any other place you do, you get, you get upset with the way things go and the decisions that are made, or sometimes you're annoyed with the people you work with. Uh, But that's every single job ever. Right. And, you know, I felt that way sometimes, but it was my family and I, I didn't ever want to have to leave it, and then I had a decision to make, and so then I did, and i yes, that was extremely difficult for me to do and and I'll tell you Lawrence I mean even doing the job i'm doing now, and as much as I like what i'm doing i I still miss it a ton there like i I, I really do I miss that environment, I miss that station the way it was, and I don't know how things are now, but i I miss the way things were when I was there, but I also knew it wasn't going to last forever that way.
0: I really like when you come to visit um, because things have changed over the last few years. I do think some of it is, is kind of normalizing a little bit, but I like when you come to visit because like, like Bors, and I said this on the air, like, like when Terry comes to buy to visit, you are universally loved. So when you walk in the door, it is everyone smiles. Like it's it's an amazing gift. And I and I'm not I'm not sure how you have it, but everyone's happy to see you. And we all kind of get back in that mode of man, you know, Raji's here. This is gonna be fun. Like whatever whatever is gonna happen for the next 10 minutes. Is going to be fun because Ranji's in the hallway yelling and pointing at people and that's saying, Come <laughs> here and give me a hug and all this stuff. That's weird because everybody hates me down here. That's not true. <laughs> how how in the world could that be true? Oh,
1: idiots. I don't know. You and, have to be an idiot <laughs> to dislike me.
0: I agree. I
1: like I, I mean it's to... on you, it's not me. You know, that's sometimes sometimes that does happen where people don't like you and Most, uh, if you don't know the situation, most people would say, well, if people don't like you, that's a, that's a you problem. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that that's not always true. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes you're just a raging dumb shit and you don't know what's good and you don't like me. That's a you problem. You know what I mean?
0: I do. I and I think that, that that's uh that's then, classic reality that, right there.
1: Hey, when that happens, I feel am I in a am I like in a fucking bizarro world? Like what's
0: going on here? You know, somebody do, To me it doesn't make sense that people don't like you. Not to me either. Like all right, you know,
1: fine. But there's such a thing as mass hysteria, Lawrence. So it's true. I guess I guess that explains some of it.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs>
1: see like okay the joke the joke in chicago was that i'm a dickhead right but it was like this i'm really not but every but it's like a lovable kind of thing you know like i'm not really in st louis they don't
0: get that or no uh some people don't some people think i really yeah i mean it's yeah you know what that is i'm gonna tell you what that is all right that's score dna you know what I mean? Like, it, it could I, be. I think if – it, and I'm, we have to ask let's, – let's ask Goff about his experience in Atlanta because Jason's another one of those people where how can you not like Jason? And I wonder, right. if, I wonder if he ran into similar stuff when he was in Atlanta. But I do think, though – and, like, when I go traveling, if it's covering a Super Bowl or covering a Final Four, I will say that we're, we're different. Like score guys, score boys are are different and it's not the same thing as like the guys from the fan, like yeah. the guys from the fan, like that's a whole nother thing. Yeah,
1: that was, yeah, that's, that's
0: right. But, but there's something about us where people are, are kind of pre-programmed to not like us. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you guys aren't that bad. Yeah, you got, but it takes a long time for them to warm up to us. Well,
1: I think some of it down here, and I think most of the, well, most of the people I work with, they're smart enough to get it. They're, they're smart enough to, to understand uh, the kind of personality I have where I'm coming from. Uh, there are some people who aren't. And as a listener goes, there are probably a lot of people down here that are not used to how I am with things and how I am with things is I'm, I'm pretty direct and I don't, and I know there are, there are probably people who listen to White Sox post that will completely disagree with this. Uh, Cause I think I was lying all the time, but I don't understand why, I don't understand why you would be dishonest about how you feel about things or not, not present how you really feel And it it does seem like there are, are, are some people here who have been around for a long time that are a little more afraid to be that way. So then I come in and I, I just, I'm sorry, but I don't operate like that. Don't bullshit people because your listeners are not fucking stupid. Your listeners have eyes. I mean, some people are stupid, but for the most part, they have eyes. They can see what's going on. They can read between lines. Don't, Tell them what they're not seeing is what they're seeing. Don't do that. And I think there might be down here uh, some people who are, are just predisposed to be that way. And they're, they're not really comfortable with telling things exactly how you see them. So I get labeled a pessimist a lot here. And I'm like, no, guys, this is not pessimism. I see things as they are. Not as I really hope they want, they should be like i'm that's not how I look at stuff, and if you are uncomfortable with that, that is not a me problem that is not a Ken williams problem that is a that's a you problem and it's and i just i don't understand the, the looking at it that way and you can see it as pessimism, but it it isn't it's it's just being realistic that's all that is, and I know that what we're talking about it isn't. Sports is not, um, you know, It. I, I know this is a cliche thing to say about sports, but it's not life and death, and that is true. However, this is the way I've, I've started to look at things maybe even more and more as the years have gone on. It's not life and death, but you know what it is? When an organization, a sports organization, has asked people to invest their time, their emotion, and their money. You're asking them to part with all of those things. All of those things are valuable to people. Your emotions are valuable. Your money is, is money. And your time is also valuable because you have a finite amount of it. When you ask people to devote all of those things to you, in some respects, that is kind of serious. And you should be honest with them. And so, in, in that way, no sp- sports are not going to uh, determine whether or not you have a good life or a bad one. Yeah. Unless you're like a Browns fan or something. Yeah. But those poor bastards. Oh, well, maybe they're better. I don't know. But un- unless you're, you're a fan of a team like that, and, and not even then, I mean, you still can have a great life. You have your family, you know, you can uh, you have a good job, hopefully. Um, you have other things going on. But I think when, you, when you're an organization and you ask people to uh, invest all of those things in you, you owe them something. And, and I think it's up to us, you, know, you and me, and people who do this to, to tell things as they are and don't bullshit people. Like, don't, like don't do that. And again, I, I am fully aware that there are probably people who hear this who are Sox fans who are going to think, well, wait a minute, that's, that's what you are. Like, you bullshit me that whole time you were here with the team. And I will tell you that there were times I, I held back in things that I, that I thought or wanted to say, but I didn't ever, uh, I was never completely dishonest about how I, I felt things were like, I really do think that the decade I was there that while they didn't get it right a lot, I do think they really seriously tried to get it right a lot. I just think they didn't, they didn't accomplish it. And I think they really tried to uh, continue the, the World Series success, and they thought they were going to do it again the next year, and they had a really good team, and they thought that would build them some, some momentum. But the Twins and Tigers happened, so they missed out. And then it just kind of it slowly died from there, and I think they tried to keep it as alive as best they could. It didn't work out. And I, I really thought they were trying, and maybe that was naive on my part, but i really think they wanted to i just but the bottom line is i i didn't i was never dishonest and i don't think that we should be dishonest in this job that that's just not uh, you know again it shouldn't the, the sports shouldn't decide how how fruitful your life is but if you are being asked to devote something back to these teams whether it's the things i talked about emotion uh, money time then those teams they fucking owe you something, man. Like they they owe you their best, their absolute best effort every single time because they ask of it they ask you of your best effort as a fan. So all right, I will do my part. I'll show up to your ball games. I will give you money. I'll buy the beer. But you better put a, a good team on that field and you better exhaust yourself financially to make it happen. You know, I don't want you to have financial ruin. As a team, but you better make it happen. And if you're not making it happen, then somebody else needs to come in and make it happen because you want an investment from me. I want an investment from you. And I think that's absolutely a fair trade.
0: You go down to St. Louis and you join this show. You guys are like, when I saw some of your ratings, I was like, holy crap, like this guy is down there killing it. So, what's it like to? to be number one and put up the numbers that you guys are putting up. Uh, we haven't been number
1: one every time. We were the first, um, like I said, we were the first couple of years, I think seven of the eight books that came out, we were one. We've been second a couple of times. We were third once, I think we were, we were just second again. I, we might be one again, I don't know. I really don't even know where we are now. Um, it's, I don't know, it's 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 hard because it's never, like, I've never had a job. Like, all of my jobs at the score, the ratings didn't matter to me. Like, I mean, I, I'm glad that we as a team did well, but I wasn't affecting scores ratings. I didn't have a, a regular show. I was just, I was filling in when they needed me, uh, anchoring. Like, I wasn't the draw at the score. So, that's not ever something I, I ever – was competitive about or worried too much about. It was just more of a prideful thing, like, hey, good job, fellas. We did it, you know? Um, So now this is is just a different – this is different for me because I'm not really used to it. So it's cool. And it's like – you do feel like you're in a game a little bit where you're trying to beat other people, you know, like there's an actual competition. So that part of it is fun. And I don't really – Honestly, I don't really know if it's, if it's me so much. I mean, there are three of us on the show, and there are four if you include our producer who contributes a ton. So it really isn't just me. I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I feel like it's all because of or, or how much of it is because of me. I, I
0: really don't. Yeah, but it's, I, I would imagine that it's at least a little bit validating to, to see that your show is succeeding,
1: well, I'm not, I'm not killing the thing, I guess. So, <laughs> I mean, still doing great. I showed up and it didn't get worse. Let's put it that way. I, I showed up and it didn't, it didn't go downhill.
0: Oh man. That Actually,
1: maybe I did save these bombs. Maybe if it weren't for me,
0: <laughs>
1: this show would be losing to some, I don't know, some syndicated guy. I don't know.
0: I, I mean, I will tell you that, <laughs> that, that when, uh, when I started the new show, that that was, that was a fear. The fear was like, I mean, I know I did well at night. It's not night. It's the middle of the day. Yeah. Like, basically, I was like, I just don't want to fuck this up. And then I was like, why are you acting like that? Like, do your show and if you fail you fail doing your show so and i have it like it's been pretty successful um but there was at least that initial like oh they're going to give me this opportunity and i'm going to be the one that screws it up and you don't want to do that and then you're like "No, no 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 let's let's try to let's try to get those mully and hall numbers let's try to try to build an audience like there is an audience out there for what we do let's find out how good we actually are well
1: the only thing that's really if you think about it that's different from uh doing your nighttime show to what you're doing now is uh it's dark outside and i and and that it, it feels different i mean when you've got a studio surrounded by windows and you look out and you see sunlight that's a, th- to me, like that feels different. Like, and it feels you're, like you're doing a different show. So I guess it's hard to get past that. But because I liked the feel of being in a dark studio. When I was doing nighttime stuff. Do.
0: Like a lot of the guys, even now, like they keep the lights down, like all sorts of stuff. And I'm, yeah. I've actually kind of flipped on that where I'm like, no, 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 bring in all the, the light. Let's bring in all, let's, let's be happy. It's daytime now.
1: I can understand that.
0: I and mean, when you're trapped on nights or 10 years um i i appreciate you being so generous with your time i i do have to ask you one more thing uh at least one more Lawrence
1: minute. Lawrence uh i i have nothing to do the only thing i have to do is uh get up tomorrow and go back and do another show
0: well i mean that's what happens when you're number 1 and then I'll, want-
1: and then i'll go walk around the mall and cry and then i'll come back to my apartment and do it again
0: what's at the mall
1: I don't know. I was just joking. I was, like, oh, like, I was like, what's, like, what's something sad that I could do? How about just
0: walk around the mall? I was actually, say, can, can I tell you? the? Go ahead. the river. I thought maybe maybe walk along the river might be.
1: Oh, I sure as hell ain't going down to the river. The thing about the river here is uh, it, it's, it crests a lot, and it'll just sweep you in. This river is, is a monster. You want to stay away from this river. Okay. Don't go swimming in it.
0: I trust me, I won't.
1: Yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> I did. I was in the mall a few months ago. This is one of the worst times of my life. I was in the mall a few months ago and I was I was looking for something. I don't remember what. And uh I this lady who was working there, I don't remember the first thing she said to me, but the second thing she said was, So are you uh are you walking the mall? And I was like, What? She's like, Are you a mall walker? And I go, what the fuck? Do I look like a mall walker? Do you know how do you know how awful that feels? Somebody thinks that I'm a mall walker? Hey,
0: man, look. Depending I'm, I, on, I'm not 70. Depending on what time of year it is, mall walking is pretty great. And so this is what I learned when I had the place out in Arizona. So I would never really go out to Arizona other than um, in the wintertime, in the fall and the winter, because there's no point to going out there any other time of the year. But I I forgot why I was there, but I was there. And I was just sitting there. And I literally went to the movies at at Paradise Valley Mall. And I'm sitting there going, why are there people walking around here, like, basically in circles? And someone was like, because it's 105 degrees outside. Yeah. So this is where you have to come to get your exercise. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, that's brilliant. I I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of interesting. But so you shouldn't be offended that you were mall. Maybe you're okay. just a sensible mall walker.
1: Well, but usually mall walkers have blue hair. That's why I was. That's why I felt so weird about it.
0: Well, you don't have blue hair, which is a, a very very good thing. I want to I want to ask you about covering. You you were here for in Chicago when the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. What was it like to be in St. Louis when the Blues won it? Well, it
1: had never happened here before. So that was, um, that was a really fun time. Uh, and that's, just, that's as simply as you can put it. It was such a good time. And I think it was really good for the city because, look, I, I don't think um, championships necessarily save a town. And uh, that's not what happened when the Blues won. But it was just a positive thing for the city because there's been a lot of stuff here that's been really negative. Over the last one, and, and I know people are going to point to the riots from a, a few years ago, but I think it goes way deeper than that. I mean, there, there are issues in this city and have been for decades, and I think we need a lot of positivity down here in terms of moving things forward, recognizing there's a problem, and instead of saying, uh, okay, there's a problem, let's just, let's just wash our hands of, of St. Louis altogether – we can actually get together and say, let's make it better. How do we make it not a problem? And I do think things like a, a championship, which does put some spotlight on the city. It's the NHL. So it's not like it's going to bring, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't move the needle like NBA, NFL, baseball does, but it's something, you know, um, and I thought that was such a, a good thing for the city. And then to have a successful parade where, I mean, who knows how many people were, were downtown, several hundred thousand. We don't know what the true estimate was, but a lot of people were there for the parade. It all went well. It was a fun time. I I mean, I looked at it in, in that kind of way. And then also growing up a blues fan, which I did, I never thought that would happen. Like, you think your team eventually is going to win, but then you also think they're never going to win. You know what I mean? Like, when you have a team that's <laughs> – like you feel that way about the Bears, right? You yep. came into the season thinking, oh, they're going to win, but they're also probably not. You have that, that fight with yourself, and that's how Blues fans have felt forever because they've had really good teams, like President's Trophy teams, and then they just don't do it. So it was – uh, and I, I will I will put it this way because I, I know I said this a couple of times after the fact, never would have thought this team, like this particular team that won would never have been my favorite to win. I thought they were going to be a, a good team, but I didn't think they were going to actually win the cup. And then the way things went down for them and how some stuff occurred in the playoffs and they got a couple of beat downs in the playoffs and you're like, man, you can't lose by five goals and – you know, feel good about this series and win it, but they did. And then the hand pass thing happened and they overcame that. Like just in a goaltender, that's like 15 or, you know, a guy doesn't have any experience. And then he takes them all the way. Just, it was totally improbable. So I didn't think that was going to happen, but I do think them winning it was good for the city. And I do care because I grew up here and I, my grandparents were here and, um, I I always think about how the St. Louis they lived in was. It was thriving in a lot of ways. And of course there were neighborhoods that were completely forgotten and have gotten more and more forgotten. as time has gone on And Chicago deals with the exact same thing. Um, But on a bigger scale, because there are more people like, I, I just, I want good things for this city because I have people who are here that I care about and I want it to get better. And I, I thought that was something that was – it was in the positive basket, and there needs to be more of it. They're, we're getting an MLS team, and that doesn't save you, but it's a positive thing. And they're rebuilding a lot in Midtown. And that's a positive thing because up until the time they started expanding the Ballpark Village – and I know you've been down to Bush Stadium, right? The Ballpark Village that is, you know, tied in with Bush Stadium directly across the street – they're expanding to that. Those are the only cranes in downtown St. Louis that I have seen since I've moved here. Like nothing gets built here. Wow. Like no, there's renovation. They they do renovate a lot of the old buildings. They're putting in nicer hotels. So I think slowly but surely it's moving in a good direction, but there just isn't a whole lot of new going up. And they're doing some stuff in Midtown, which is between where I live and where downtown is. And there's a lot going on there. And I think within the next couple of decades, that'll get better. But I just think that everything positive this city can get, it needs. And it's, it, I, I hope it's moving in the right direction. It, it appears to be. And it just has to keep getting better. And I, I do think that Blues run helped it in a way.
0: Well... I adore you, man, and I uh, I thank you for doing this. You know you're my wife's favorite. Like, she she loves you. Right. Yeah.
1: she's She's got her head on straight, man.
0: It's frustrating. It's frustrating because she loves her some Ranji. Um, but I thank you for doing this, man, because – and I miss you all the time. I just want you to know that. I miss you all the time. Well, I don't know who's
1: going to listen to this. Probably not as many people as listened to the Cowley episode. I mean, which already – like, good when work.
0: we were – When we're recording, I'll just tell you that it. I released it two days ago. Three thousand downloads already.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Callie. Hey, I love Joe Callie. That is my. That is my dude. I love, and he is. He's like what we were talking about about being honest uh, about how your teams are. And absolutely no bullshit. And maybe, maybe sometimes he would, uh, he would belabor something a little bit too much. But I'm not even sure it was that much, to be honest with you. I don't think he was ever really truly about anything he reported regarding teams. I don't think he's wrong very often. I agree. I, he, I, I think he likes he's, poking the bear. He likes to poke the bear. Uh, but guess what? As a sports fan, that's a dude that's on your side. And the, the, the very thing we were talking about a few moments ago where teams owe fans something. Uh, in fact, they owe you a lot, us a lot. He's, he was right when it comes to that and is right the way he does his job because th- that's how he sees stuff. Like, don't bullshit fans. Don't do it because they're, they're putting a lot of effort into you and pay them back. And, and that's, that's where I think he comes from. But, um, yeah, so hopefully this uh, – hopefully you get a couple dozen people listen to this.
0: It's funny because he said 10. He's like, I'd be surprised if 10 people listen. I was like, a lot more than 10 are going to listen. Um, and I think the, uh, the strategic placement of your episode, I think, is going oh, to be fantastic.
1: I'm very excited about this. This is the best thing about the episode.
0: That, that you're episode 83. Yeah. I mean, and I found this out in doing some research – Usually Thanksgiving weekend, which is when we are are producing this episode, is the weekend where people start discovering new podcasts to listen to. So, Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess you're
1: traveling home.
0: Yeah, you're traveling, you're doing all sorts of stuff. So uh, it's very strategic where where you're being placed, and I think it's going to turn out well,
1: personally. Well, I just want it to be good for you, big boy, because you're my guy.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, it's true. I love you, man. I love you too. And there's there no better feeling than, than a Chris Rondy showing up in, a high, in Hyde Park to surprise me uh, at, at the Silver Room block party. Because no one would ever think to look for you there. And you being there you absolutely made my day.
1: I am a member of the community. I'm an honorary member.
0: I mean, you're... I was,
1: you're, I, I, I was told years ago that I was an honorary member. Are you revoking it?
0: No, no, no. I'm I'm just saying that you didn't live in Chicago at the time that you showed up at the block. Oh, that's
1: true. Yeah, I did.
0: So seeing you pop up and I was wondering why Mel was acting so weird, but it was, it is one of the best things that's, that's ever happened to me.
1: Well, I am very glad it happened. I I wanted so bad to come see you. And she was like, you better hurry up. He's ready to go home and calm down, Lawrence hang outside the house for a minute for christ's sake
0: it's hard it's difficult for me you know you don't always
1: have to be at home or it's at the studio true.
0: it's true i don't and i'm trying to get better at that i really really am um but you know the work is the work i'm actually going to take tony gill he's never had
1: oh man he's never I love had tony like,
0: isn't he great he's God, so he's, great. He's,
1: he's one of the best
0: he's, he's just a genuinely good person yeah
1: he is I mean, his his ideas are off the fucking wall sometimes. Yeah, that guy
0: is the best. He is the best. He's never had like a real steak before.
1: Like, what do you mean,
0: like a a beef steak? Like a listen. like come on, dude. Ranger, listen. He said to me, he's like, I don't get what the whole thing is about steak. Like, steak's not that great. And what? I was like, right. And so I said. Have you had steak? Because this is a legitimate question for Tony. And he goes, yeah, I, I had a steak once, once at Outback Steakhouse. Come on. And I just started dying. I was like, you've never been to like a steakhouse in Chicago. And he goes, no. So Friday after the show, since are you calling him right I'm now? I'm calling
1: Tony Gill right now. He's
0: at the Bulls game right now. Well, I hope the he answers. He picks up. Hello?
1: Tony. Hey, it's Ronge. What are you doing?
0: I am at the ball
1: game. Okay. Uh, I am currently on Lawrence's podcast. <laughs> We're recording right now. And I hey. I just found out you've never had a steak. Is that true? Yes, that. Uh, well, no, no. He's lying because I had an outback steakhouse steak. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> it's from out. You might as well go to Ponderosa. Why does it have a steak out in the name if, it, if I can't get a decent steak? Doesn't make any sense. Because of well it's how they get it's how they get you in the door, Tony.
0: Well we should also for false advertising. Oh
1: okay. I mean it's I mean it's a steak, I guess, technically, but it's not like a it isn't like a good steak. He Lawrence is talking about a good steak. It's the same animal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Are you at the Bulls game? I am Okay, go back to covering the Bulls. Congratulations on your new job. Thank you. How long are you in the city? I'm not in the city. I'm on doing a. I'm doing a conference call with Lawrence.
0: Oh. Oh, okay. All right, cool. All right. I, I love <laughs> you, buddy. Love you too, man. Okay, bye. Right, bye. I, I, See what I mean? He's never had a real steak, and so he's really mad that Outback Steakhouse, that steak is in the name of the restaurant. But he's, he's, what? It's, it's so adorable i can't stand he's, it you know what that's
1: what he is he's adorable
0: so i'm gonna take him friday we're i'm gonna take him to gibson's on friday afternoon.
1: you this. still owe me a steak for the javi vasquez 15 wins oh, bitch
0: shit i do still owe you a steak. <laughs> <for that. laughs> how, how many
1: years ago was that
0: is that 2003 like <laughs> no was it's like
1: oh seven probably
0: all right. Well, then, it was
1: oh six oh seven.
0: When you come back up the next time, it if you actually make time because I'm you're gonna rip, make time you're ripping listen. and running and all over the place.
1: Listen, listen. I will be there. Uh, I will definitely in the middle of December, like that. That I think like starting on the fifteenth or something. I will be there for like a full week.
0: All right. Then we will figure out a day, and then I'm going to take you. For steak. I'll bring, I'll bring my wife because she, she wouldn't forgive me if I didn't. Right. And we'll, we'll go out on the town and I'll pay for it. Cause I owe you because of hobby baskets.
1: Yeah. The, in the bet for people who don't know was uh, Lawrence said that he would not win 15 games. And I said he would, and he won exactly 15. Yeah. So hobby hobby bought me a steak.
0: in the one, the one freaking outlier year for him. That's why I hate the win. Kill the win, kill the win. It is Brian bad. Kenny is right about that. Everybody, right. yeah. Go about your night. Thank you for making this a great episode. Thanks for calling Tony and finding out that he's never had real steak before.
1: What a what a damn weirdo! Let we should have we should have called uh, Herb and found out what he's wrong about today.
0: Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> between the two of them. The two of them. <laughs> they they did one show a couple weeks ago. It was really good. They 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 were. They were really because Tony's like serious. I cover the NBA guy now. Oh, is he? So yeah, like he's, oh, he's, boy. he's on a first name basis with Jim Boylan. Like, oh yeah, he's that guy now. Good. So so Herbie was treating him like the expert, and it was actually really good radio, to tell you the truth.
1: I I I love Herb Lawrence. Who
0: who doesn't? Well, I mean, there are people who don't, but they're idiots. Dumb people. Okay, see, that's what I was talking about earlier.
1: Like there are just some people who don't like others, and they're just absolutely wrong for not liking them. Yeah, it's it it's on. Like, if you don't like Herb, it is on you. It's not on Herb; it's on you because you're a
0: dumbass. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being a guest on House of L. Thanks for having me. And hopefully, you. I think you're one of the people that people will want to hear again. Although that okay. now is only golf. Like he's the only person who's been back oh, okay. on the podcast. Well. But between you and like Rosner and a couple other people, there are people that'll definitely want you back on this thing.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. tell Barry I said hi.
0: I will. I love that man too. I miss him too. I miss him being at the score as often as he used to be at the score because he's he's uh he's a great, great guy and someone that is uh was always underused. Ab- I was opinion.
1: just going to say uh, he should have been utilized a whole lot more.
0: Agreed. He See, absolutely we, should have. That's what this podcast is about, fixing the world.
1: Well, just let us run it then.
0: I, I agree. Who run the world? Us. No, that's not how the song goes. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful night in St. Louis.
1: You too, buddy. I love you.
0: I love you too. All right. I hope you learned and, and loved a lot of that episode, that episode was a lot of fun for me to do. I'm really happy that Ranger worked with me so that we could make that happen. And we kind of did our own thing with the, the the Zoom. And I'm experimenting with it, so it's not quite perfected yet. But I think it's getting closer to sounding the way that I want. Um, it, it just gives me a chance to get to people that I can't get in the studio so you're going to be hearing from a few more of my friends, like nationally, over the next few episodes, because now I have a way to do stuff with them. Uh, and I thank Chris Ranji for just being him, just being, just being that dude, man. And if 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 you can hear the affection in my voice, know that that affection for him is genuine, is completely genuine, and you can probably. Um, tell by the picture that i chose for the widget for this episode he's he's great and i what we didn't talk about i mean i I think i made a a passing mention of it but he went down there and to give you an idea of what sports radio is like in chicago like from a rating standpoint if my show does uh a four share if i have a four share of our target demo which is men 25 to 54, meaning four percent of the the radios in our target demo are listening to my show from noon to two. I kind of get to keep my job if I do anywhere over a five, like they're super happy, and anything beyond that, I'm making a whole lot of money. Um, to put that in perspective, Ronji's show routinely does ten shares in St. Louis, ten shares. One out of every 10 radios of men 25 to 54 is listening to Chris Ranji's show. That's a monster number for our business. So he's he's down there earning it for sure. Okay, let me get to some emails. I haven't done emails in a while. You're allowed to send emails. You should. Podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email the podcast. So let me go through a couple here. This is from Mike. Mike says, Lawrence, I got to say these last few episodes with Kenzie K. and Callie have been some of my favorites. Hearing how they both have been grinding to get where they are now is inspiring. Joe's stories were incredible, both about his fights with cancer and with Jerry and Kenny, etc. He's a different dude, that's for sure, and a necessary voice. I don't have any recommendations for guests, except maybe Hamp. Maybe if Hamp wanted to catch up. It would be cool to hear about your show together now with the perspective of many years out. I know you and Speaks joke about being the middle children at the score. What if you guys deep dive on all the shenanigans that occurred on the Belmont Bunker? You know, and that's from Mike. Mike, thanks for listening to the episode with Kenzie. I I, I highly recommend it because her story is bananas. And I I think that, that she has the chance to become a star like she's someone that we're going to be seeing on red carpets and stuff and I'm going to be like, "Man, I used to hang out with Kenzie." <laughs> and she's going to be like, "Who are you again? What's your name again?" She promised me that she wasn't going to do that. But you should check out that episode because her story, considering how young she is, the 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 level of grind for her is uh, amazing. But I actually have someone else in mind to do some of the bunker stuff at at Belmont. And it's someone that we've been trying to like match up schedules and stuff. But I think it's just going to be one of those situations where I invite that person over to the house and we just sit and let it roll and see where it goes. But I'm glad that you like the episode, Mike. And I'm glad that I'm back to doing them once a week because I think that it just it keeps good momentum going and people can maybe they, they may be turned on to an episode that they weren't expecting. Like, I'm not sure how many people are in the Venn diagram of wanting to hear from Joe Cowley and then wanting to hear Kenzie's origin story. But I will tell you that because the Cowley episode was so listened to, a lot of people did go back and listen to Kenzie's episode, which I think is super important because I'm not kidding. I mean, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen. She's she's a star, man. She's on her own planet. And I dig it. I dig it quite a bit. So thanks for that email. I appreciate this. This from Jason. Lawrence, great work on House of El Loho Daily, the Bears post game show, and your regular show. You have long been one of my favorite media people in the city, and I love the additional content. And that's from Jason. Jason, thank you very much. Um, It's weird. I got like four podcasts now, and it's a lot. And I'm juggling a lot right now, but it's so strange. You know what's really weird? I was talking with uh, Panther about this. Some of you know I have Crohn's disease and I, I deal with Crohn's. My Crohn's is not as bad as most people who have Crohn's. I mean, I, I'm damn near in remission for the most part. I mean, I still stay medicated, but it's so weird to me that when I'm in the lab, like whether it's my office at home or I'm doing stuff in the studio at the score or I'm doing TV. I never feel like I have Crohn's. It's so strange. Like when I'm working, I I never feel it. It's It is the weirdest thing. And maybe that's part of the reason why I work so much is that I don't have to be in the moment of sitting there thinking that I have Crohn's. I don't know, but I always feel at ease when I'm doing all of this stuff, even though... It's a lot of stuff to to try and juggle and to do. But I appreciate that you appreciate how hard I, I work at it. I work at it quite a bit and I try to get better every day with what we're doing and try to bring interesting people on the podcast. So, all right, I'll stop talking about myself. But I hope that gives you a little bit of insight into me and what I'm all about. That'll end episode 83 this was a lot of fun i'm glad ronji was available to do it i'm glad that he uh helped me out I'm i'm glad to call him friend he's a good man and thorough i got another great episode next week believe it or not it's already in the can and it's going to be very different from the last couple i'm looking forward to sharing that with you too thanks so much for listening i appreciate your support if you're on the roads this weekend, you're driving, check out some of the older episodes, man. I'm telling you, you're going to dig them. Some of these people, it's your favorite people. Just search, find a good one, and listen while you're out there driving. Talk to you next time. Hey.